Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join David Keane for his message. Who's ready to share the word? Amen. Matthew 28, it's a very familiar passage, starting at verse 18. Just before Jesus goes up, back to return to heaven, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. He said this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go into all the world and make disciples. Very, very uh, familiar passage. It's one that many of us have probably pondered and grappled with and wondered about for much of our Christian lives. Because discipleship is such an important issue in the church, in, in our Christian walk. And yet, I think sometimes I wonder whether we really grasp what discipleship's all about. You know, we live in a world that's full of the how, the how-to the what to do. You know, we have formulas, we have new systems, we have uh, methods, we have the 10 tips to whatever or the, the, the five secrets of success or how to win friends and influence people. You know, we've got a wor- world that wants to give us a formula and the latest formula and the latest teaching to get it right. And, and so sometimes we think of a, of a term like disciple or discipleship and we think, well, h- how do I do that? How do I get that right? What's the latest way, the latest teaching? Let's go to Kurong and spend hundreds of dollars, which none of us would ever do, of course, particularly at state conference. Every, do you know something funny? I've been to AOG state conferences in two different states now, Queensland and New South Wales, over many years, and every place around this country that there is an AOG state conference, there's a Kurong. It can be this tiny little town like Port Macquarie and there's a Kurong there, or, or, or the Sunshine Coast. And so when I go to Kurong, I... I uh, tend to need an extra bag coming back on the plane, but that's another story. But, you know, we go and we get the latest resource and the latest teaching series and the latest methodology because we want to get it right. Does anyone relate to that? Not just with discipleship, with anything. Because we, we have this, I guess, this mindset sometimes that we've got to get it right. And, and so you, you look on Facebook, you look all over the place and, and people are asking questions, how do I lose 10 kilos how do I do this what's the method of doing that or no I never asked that question I just (laughs) I've given up trying (laughs) hypothetically (laughs) how I lose 10 kilos is ask someone to cut that off at the knee but anyway um but you know this this is what we, we have so many systems and formulas and processes and we're all trying to find the latest one and if we find one that works for a few people we can make millions out of it But, you know, we have this cycle, this system, and we're on like a treadmill. And it's the same with discipleship sometimes, with with so many issues within our Christian walk. And we're forever running after the latest trend or the latest hidden formula. You know, discipleship for dummies, all these sorts of systems. Um, Secret prayer formula, let's chant an Old Testament prayer like some sort of... uh, you know, Himalayan chant, sorry. Yeah, that's the one. And if you say the right words, then God must. But, you know, God must do nothing for nobody because he's God and we're not. And, and he won't conform into our box, even if our box is theologically sound. He won't get into it because God doesn't get into my box. Simple. 
And, and you know, sometimes we can make it all about this stuff. But tonight I want to talk about what discipleship is actually about. Because I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that discipleship is something that we do. Discipleship is a verb, it's an action. I want us to turn to John chapter 10. I think this is one of the best pictures of, of a disciple in the New Testament. And Jesus talked about disciples and two disciples most of his three years of ministry. But to me, this is one of the best pictures of discipleship. I'm just going to take a drink of water. The John 10, we're going to start at verse 2. And Jesus said this, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Sometimes we think the discipleship is in the follow. A disciple is a follower. It's, and we use, it comes from the root word of discipline and so we think of discipline and it's something that we have to do. But the discipleship is in the fact, in, in this passage, that they know his voice. Because it, it's, a, it's not a, a, um, an action that we have to fulfill, it's a posture. And that posture is relationship with him, is being in a place where we hear his voice. And because of that, that makes us a disciple. And the, and the result of that relationship with him, with his voice coming into our heart, is that we follow him. You know, sometimes we, we can beat ourselves up over, uh, you know, we, we, we've got to do this. Or, or if, if we're discipling others, what is it to disciple others? Go into all the world and make disciples. Really, there, there's two steps and there's two postures all through the New Testament. The first posture is come. And then the second posture is go. Because there's no go without come. Let me explain that in a few minutes. But we'll just continue in this passage because he goes on and he says, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That's being a disciple. We enter through the gate. We come and we go and we find pasture. Do you know what pasture is in this, in this picture? A sheep that finds pasture is a sheep that actually has uh, the, the, the things of life. It has rest. It has uh, luscious food it has all of the needs provided for it because it comes into the right uh, paddock or the right pasture through the right gate and it finds pasture that's a posture and that's what discipleship is about verse 11 I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep I am the good shepherd verse 14 I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. He's talking to the Jews and referring to, to others that aren't part of that clique. He says, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You know, when we had each of our three babies, you all know our three kids, uh, I was there for all three births. And during Tiff's three pregnancies, um, I, I was, you know, one of those real, real um, flowery dads that, you know, I'd, I'd lay my head on Tiff's stomach and I'd talk to the baby and I'd sing to the baby, you know, and, and I'd, I'd build a relationship with that child when, when each of those children were in the womb. And, you know, in each of those three births, 
uh, as as uh, the baby came out, I got to cut the cord and everything, and, and they were working on Tiff doing the stuff that you do after a woman gives birth. Um, and, and the babies, each of them, were given to me. And as they were given to me, and they were wrapped up, and I placed them here, and I just started talking and humming, and they instantly settled and went to sleep. You know, all three of them came out. They were screaming. They were mad, particularly Caleb. It was 36-hour labour. He was raging. And they handed him to me, and he was asleep in five seconds. And the reason for that was because those children knew my voice. They were newborn, but they knew my voice. And as soon as they heard my voice, they were at rest. They were calm. They were at peace. And to this day, one of the greatest, most joyful moments of my life was when each of those children were born and, and knowing that they knew my voice. You know, it was just an incredible thing that this, this child, this baby who knows nothing, and now they know everything, but back then they knew nothing, but they knew my voice. <laughs> if any of them are listening. <laughs> anyway, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing with us. If we know his voice, his sheep know his voice, and therefore they follow him. They don't follow him and therefore they're his disciples. They're his disciples because they know his voice and therefore they follow him. Do you see the distinction? The what of discipleship is following. It's being a follower. But the why of discipleship is because we know his voice and we are his sheep. And so therefore we follow. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 into chapter 3. You know, so much of... Uh, of reality I guess goes right back to the beginning the way God created the way things were intended to be and you know Adam and Eve were given a purpose their purpose was to tend the garden to be fruitful to multiply but you know what happened was God would come down and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and that was the very first um, sheep and shepherd I guess type analogy that was the very first picture of discipleship God would come and they knew his voice and they would walk with him in the garden and he would talk to them and and as soon as Satan came along and and uh, you know all of that stuff happened and the relationship was broken the, the way that God knew straight away I mean God knew but when God came down to walk in the cool of the day in the garden they were hiding suddenly something had changed that relationship had uh, been broken there was a blockage. There was shame brought into the equation. And, and because of shame, they hid. And so often since then, right through the history of mankind, we've had shame, we've had hiding. We hide from each other. We hide from God. We hide the truth. We, we put up our best pictures on Facebook and then, uh, you know, all of those Snapchat type things that make your face odd look better or far worse in some cases. But, you know, we... we we, we create an image that we want people to see. We put up walls because we're hiding. But true discipleship is when we are with him and we know his voice and we're in that relationship. And all the way through, this is the picture. God was community at the beginning. God was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were in relationship. Genesis 1, let us make man in our image you know, they were already a complete relational whole and, and they, they, they were one and they loved each other and they were in each other. You know, this, this picture of perfect relationship. And, and all through scripture, God wanted to join people into that relationship with him. We see he, he opened that up to Adam and Eve. He opened it all the way through to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to the people, to the kings, to, you know, the, 
the prophets, the message was the same. The message was come. It was always come. And then Jesus came into the mix. And, and when he got to 30 years of age and he started his ministry, what, what did he say? He said, come, follow me. That was the only call. It wasn't do this, do that, do the others. Come, just come. Just, just be with me. That was all he called them into. And the rest flowed from there. Because those 12 men came and they were with him. And they knew his voice and they followed him. And they stuffed up like the rest of us. But that was the picture of discipleship. Jesus' word was come. And, and to all those who, who they, they went around and ministered to and, and they, they, they revealed the nature of God to the people. And Jesus would say things like in Matthew 11, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This world needs rest for their soul. You know, we, we try and find that in so many different areas, in so many different things, and some will find it in a bottle or in a smoking of something or whatever, and others will try and find it in, in relationship after relationship or in uh, acquisition of, of possessions or money or whatever. You know, we, we try and find rest for our souls. And, and the number of times that people reach the pinnacle of where they've aimed for in life and they find that there's no rest for their souls. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. You know, the call is the same all the way through. Come. In the final hours before his death, in John chapter 14, there's this entire narrative in John. I love the Gospel of John. I don't know if you're supposed to have favourites, but that's my favourite. I really like it. Um, and, and I really love, in particular, there's this, this whole narrative from John 13 through to John 17. And, and those four chapters, they start at the, the Last Supper. And John 17 is when Jesus is praying in the garden just before they take him away. And so the, the implication is that, that that entire narrative, 13 through to 17, are the things that Jesus told his apostles in those last hours before he died, that they'd come out from, from that uh, Last Supper. And then, then he, he had all of these words of encouragement for him through John chapter 14, John 15, John 16. Then he prayed for him, then he was taken away. And, and it's an amazing passage, like just reading the whole four or five chapters, it's well worth it, because I'm reminded that these were the things that Jesus thought were the, the most critical, the most crucial things in the final hours of his life. If you knew you were going to be dead tomorrow morning, what would you say to those closest to you? you you'd be, you'd be, you, know, you wouldn't be talking about the footy or, or the weather or something else, you'd be talking about the things that mattered, wouldn't you? And, and so this passage in John, 14 particular through to 17, these are the things that mattered to Jesus. Now, in that, with that in mind, let's read starting at John 14 verse 1. He says, and I will ask the Father. Sorry, it's verse 16, not verse 1. Um, I wrote verse 1, but then I, I moved further down. Verse 1, he started by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on with an entire narrative. And then verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you'll realise that I am in my Father and that you are in me 
and then I am in you. See, that's that picture, that relationship. That's, that, that's what we refer to. We use the word unity, but sometimes even unity can be sort of, I don't know, it can be misapplied or just, just it, it, we bring it down to this, just a simple formula. You know, if we do, do all of these things, then we are in unity. But what he's saying is, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. You are in me. It, it's that perfect picture of oneness, of togetherness, of relationship. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. This is verse 19. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father. You are in me. I am in you. Whoever has commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, this is the real message of comfort. This is the Jesus who says, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's the posture that he wants for us. You know, he talked in, in Matthew chapter 6 about worry. You know, what, the, the world worries about all this stuff. You worry about these things, about what you'll eat, what you wear, where your money's coming from, all of that stuff. But don't worry. He says, seek my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, God's posture towards us has always been far more um, gracious, far more blessed than we could even hope for. You know, the, 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 the greatest things that you could hope that God would have for you, he's actually got more than that in store for you. You know, and, and I think it's so important for us to understand that about who God is. We talked about this in a number of messages. Colossians 1, you know, who, who he is. He's not only the one that holds all things together, but he's the one that died for you and for me. And, and he's so relentless in his pursuit of that relationship with us that he went to that extent that he gave his own life so that we could be restored in that relationship. And he goes on in that, uh, in that passage into John 15, and he, he gives one of the real keys and another one of the main pictures of what a disciple is in the whole New Testament. In John chapter 15, I'm going to read several verses of it. He says this, I am the, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That's a bit of... A bit, I used to feel a bit ripped off, you know, because whether, whether you're bearing fruit or not bearing fruit, you're going to be cut. You know, it's just a matter of the purpose of the cut, whether you're actually being pruned or whether you're being cut off. But anyway, that's, that's another message for another day. So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, I used to read that and I used to think in terms of, well, if you're not fruitful, God almost in this vengeance sort of way is going to cut you off and cast you out to be burned. But he's not actually saying that. What he's talking about here is your source. What is the source that comes into your life? Because if, if there is a vine and you're a branch... The branch actually doesn't have a source of its own. The branch sits there and hangs there and looks pretty while, while it receives nutrients from the vine. And while it's receiving nutrients from the vine, it's fruitful. You see, discipleship is not about, I've got to be fruitful, I've got to be fruitful, I've got to bear fruit. It's about a posture of receiving from the source that is the vine. And, and if I don't bear fruit, if I'm not connected to that source, he's not going to cut me off and throw me away in the fire in punishment. He's saying, you can't actually have life without the source of life. You will wither. You will die. Your life will end up counting for nothing. You'll be as, as something that's thrown away and burned in the fire. Not because God wants you to be thrown away and burned, but he's saying, I want you to have my life. Let me graft you into the vine, and when you're grafted into that vine, you will have life and you will bear fruit. That's what he's saying. And that's discipleship. Discipleship is not the fruit that you bear. It's not the things that you do. It's the fact that you're receiving from the source that is him. And when you're receiving from that source, everything else will flow. In Matthew 9 and many other occasions, Jesus saw the crowds... And it says he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They were like branches, not in the vine. And when he saw that, out of compassion, he taught them, and and he, he drew them to himself. And his message was the same, come, repent, turn around, the kingdom of heaven is here. Not repent, so the kingdom of heaven will come, but the kingdom of heaven has come, so therefore come and join it. Come and turn around and and be connected to the vine. And now Jesus himself was connected too. Time after time we find that when he'd finished in ministry, he'd finished and and sometimes days at a time preaching, uh, healing, doing all sorts of amazing things. I know that for me, like when I when I get to the end, you know, you get to that stage where you just need to shut yourself off and just do nothing, sit in front of the footy or something, you know. We all get to that place where we just want to zone out and do nothing. Jesus, in those moments, he went to be on his own with the Father because he was receiving from the source that was God. And he actually saw his time with God as a time of refreshing and a time of filling and a time where he he was recharged for the next step. Sometimes, I don't know for me, and I don't know if anyone else is the same, but does it seem like even prayer can be one of the things I've got to do? Or is it actually my source? Do I come to God and do I have his voice once again into my spirit, into my heart, speaking words of life, bringing peace, bringing hope, bringing uh, a, a correction sometimes to the other voices that have tried to sell me lies. And, you know, being a disciple is being someone who actually has such a deep relationship with God that when you spend time with him, that's actually an infilling for you. That's where you top up. That's where you are refreshed. That's where you're brought back to that place of saying, right, now I'm rested. Now I can get back out and do that. And Jesus knew that. Jesus was God. But 
Philippians 2 tells us that he, he didn't cling on to his godhood in the sense of his abilities. He limited himself to being a man. And so as a man, he, he willingly and voluntarily placed himself under the same limitations as us. And so as that man, he had to go and receive from the source that was God. He had to be filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of his baptism because he was limiting himself to being a man. He didn't stop being God. But as God, he limited himself to being one of us. You understand that? It's, it's actually a really important point theologically to, to understand the, 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 the incarnation of Christ and, and the limitations that he placed on himself. But, you know, all the way through, the messages that, that he, he shared with people. So you, you look at the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. He said to her, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink you would ask him for living water, and he would give you living water. Let's read it. It says, from verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, that's amazing. That that amazes me. Because sometimes we would think, okay, here's a sinful woman. She's been married five times. She's shacked up with some bloke. She's a Samaritan. Um, And and Jesus didn't say, "If, if you repent and turn around and come to me then I'd give you living water he said if you knew who I was you'd ask me for living water and I would have given it to you so he actually would have given living water the life that was in him the spirit of God that was in him to a Samaritan sinful woman sitting there who hadn't even asked to be born again this is Jesus posture he he comes to you and he says come to me let let's communicate together let's be in relationship together. Let me give you my life and then you'll be transformed. That's discipleship. It's not in what you do. It's in where you're positioned and, and where's your source. In John chapter 6, he was speaking to the people and the people he started talking about, I am the bread that came down from heaven and anyone who eats this bread will never go hungry. You know, he, the bread of life. It's the same analogy in a sense. The bread, the water, what comes from him into us means we will never again hunger or thirst. We will never again want or lack because we are receiving from the source of that vine from John chapter 15. You know that the life of him, the life that is in him was the light of men, we are told in John chapter 1. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Isn't that amazing? You come to him, you'll never go hungry. Now, he's not just talking physically. He's talking spiritually as well in every way because everyone on this earth hungers. We hunger for all sorts of things. You know, people hunger for love. They hunger for for meaning. They hunger for purpose. They hunger for significance. They hunger for all sorts of other vices too. But, you know, we all hunger. And he says, whoever comes to me will never hunger again. They will be satisfied. And so all the way through the Gospels, Jesus' message is very simple. It's come. Come to me. Come follow. Come you who are weary and heavy laden. Come ask me for living water. I'll give you living water. Ask me for for bread. I'll give you living bread. You'll never hunger again. And the thing is that in the coming and in the sitting at his feet or in the analogy, in the being a branch grafted into the vine, We then receive the source of all things. And then at the end of the gospel, Jesus comes to the apostles and he says, right, now go. 
We see the discipleship in the go, but it's actually not, it's in the come. Because when you come to him and when you receive from him and when he is your source, you are a disciple. And because you are a disciple, then you can go. But you're not a disciple when you go. You're not a disciple because you go. You're a disciple because you come. And therefore you can go. Do you see the difference? That's discipleship. Discipleship is about those who have found the secret of communion with God. And communion with God being my source. Now it's hard sometimes. The busyness of this world. It's so hard to... to, to and this is where the discipline of discipleship comes in. I've got to discipline myself to keep coming back to God. Because if I don't make that a priority, it's like anything. I can say, hey, I want to lose 20 kilos, but not enough to do anything about it. You know? um, and it's the same with some of us. We, we want to have a powerful relationship with God, but not enough to actually do something about it. Um, and I think we've got to be honest about that. We've got to be honest about... And, and sometimes, for me too, sometimes my prayer is, God, actually give me a desire for you. Give me a, a stronger hunger for you. Because to be honest, sometimes I don't have a strong hunger for him. That's just being honest with you, you know, because there's so much in life and, and you, your head gets so busy that, that I just want to sit there and veg. But, you know, when we ask him to give us that hunger for him, his posture is always come. Come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you all of the things of this world that you need to then enable you to go. So I want to challenge us with a question tonight. And I want to challenge us some... I just want to sort of think for a moment. I don't want anyone to answer it unless you particularly want to. Um, When was the last time that you actually sat there and heard the voice of God? When was the last time that you just spent time in his presence and you actually sensed him speaking to you? Because the safest place for any Christian is to be in a place where I hear his voice. If I don't hear his voice, the rest is all just noise. You know, I can follow him and do the right stuff for all of my life and never hear his voice. And is that relationship? You know, to me, one of the scariest passages in the entire Bible is found in Matthew 7, where the people who come and and, and proclaim about all the wonderful things they did, the gifts of the Spirit, and we cast out demons and did all this stuff. and, And he says, but I never knew you. Depart from me. You know, it's actually not about what I've done. It's not about what I do. It's even discipleship. It's about, does he know me? Do I know him? And, and tonight, I don't want that to be a condemnation, by the way. You know, if, if I haven't heard his voice in a while, the best thing I can do is let's just take a moment and, and, and reconnect with him. You know, if I've been away from my wife for some time, you're away for a couple of weeks this month, and the, the first thing you want to do is reconnect with your family. You know, if you've been away, it doesn't mean I go, oh, God, I can't come back to you now. It's been two weeks since I prayed. God wants you to connect with him. You know, when I come back from a trip, my family don't say, oh, you've been away for two weeks, go away. We don't want to know you. We've got our own lives now, see you later. They're so excited to see me. Even the older ones, funnily enough. (laughs) Um, Even more so since they left home, by the way. But anyway, um, you know, and, and God's the same. Maybe it's been a while since you've connected with him. Maybe it's been a while since you've just sat in his presence and heard his voice and, and heard him because he wants to speak over you. He wants to speak life. He wants to speak words of encouragement. He wants to build you up. 
He wants to encourage you. He wants to empower you. He wants you to know the truth. And the truth is that he loves you so much that he died for you. And he wants you to know that love at such a deep level that all you want to do is go and show that love to other people. That's where the go comes in. You know, because when we come to him and we're so filled with life and we're so filled with the excitement that comes from knowing the creator of the universe, that we just can't contain that. And, and it's not meant to be contained. But tonight, I'm actually going to, we're going to finish a little bit differently than normal. Um, we're going to finish with a song. Is that all set? Yep. So we're going to play a song through the system. And, and what I want us to do, I want us to, the last five minutes we've got tonight, so I want to encourage us, let's just close our eyes. Let's take five minutes and, and just position ourselves spiritually, you know, to just connect with God, to connect with the Spirit of God. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you haven't connected with him for a while. Maybe you don't really know how to do that. Maybe tonight you've never made a decision to follow him. That's okay. He still wants to connect with you. He wants to meet you exactly where you're at, and he wants to speak into your heart. He wants to speak words of life into your spirit, wherever you're at. He doesn't just speak to Christians. Yeah, that's probably going to be a revelation to some of us. But God doesn't just speak to, to, to good people or to Christians. Actually, I don't know many good people anyway. But whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your journey has been, whatever you've come from, whatever you think about yourself, he wants to connect with you. And, and he's so relentless and so desperate about connection with you that he went to the, the, the depths of despair, of, of crucifixion, of taking our sin upon himself so that we could reconnect with him. And so as this song plays, I just really want to encourage us, let's take five minutes. There's no formula with this, but just get, get into that place yourself and we'll close our eyes and, and just ask God to speak to you. Ask God to c- connect with you. Tell him that you want to connect with him this night. And can I encourage us all as, as we go this week, this weekend, If you do nothing else in this life but connect with God, then that's enough. Do you know that? Everything else is overflow. Nothing else matters other than connection with God. And when we get to that place and we understand that connecting with him is what it's all about, then you'll be amazed at how fruitful your life will become. So tonight, let's just take a practical uh, five minutes and let's just connect with him. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.